Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Home is over. But we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Book Club. I'm Antonio Mazzaro, and I'm so happy to be here. But I'm even happier about the person that is joining me. It's Jessica Lease. Jessica, how are you? I'm great, Antonio. I've been, I've been waiting for literal years to get to talk about Game of Thrones on one of these podcasts. So I am very, very excited to be here. And, and I think I've probably been waiting just that long to hear your thoughts on Game of Thrones. Once I recognized that you were a big Game of Thrones fan, Jess, I'm a big fan of yours. I wanted to hear what you had to say. I wanted to hear your thoughts. And here we have the perfect platform to do it. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, how awesome is it that we end up getting to recap what many people are saying is the best episode of the entire series so far? Yeah. Really sorry, Josh. Really sorry, Terry. We're just going to take your your book club here and we're just going to run it into the ground. We're going to this is going to be a five hour podcast, right, Jess? Yeah, we're going to talk about everything and there will be nothing left to talk about. One hour for each book. Uh, we're going to go through each little thing that we feel like Josh and Terry have gotten. No, come on. We're not going to do all that. But we are really super psyched to be here and very thankful for the opportunity to talk about the books with you guys. Uh, lots of great feedback to get to. Just in case you're not familiar with what we do here on the Game of Thrones book club, this is going to spoil the crap out of everything that's in the books and probably some things that haven't even been in the books yet. We're going to spoil everything we can and hopefully speculate on a lot of things that are to come. That's the fun we have on the Game of Thrones book club. So if you don't want to be spoiled about Game of Thrones, you know, turn it off, turn it off. I, you'll, please come back to it later once you've read the books. But yeah, turn it off for now because we're going to spoil everything we can. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be a happy camper if you haven't read the books. No. And and frankly, go camping and bring the books with you and read them so that you can be a happy camper. That, that would be my suggestion. Yeah, take the week off work, get the books, go somewhere quiet where nobody can bother you. Yeah, come on. If you're listening to this, what do you have going on? Just take a week off of work. I know you're probably doing something work-wise right now while you're listening. But, you know, blow it off and just take these. I, I'll find a way to get you the audiobooks. I'll buy them for you. Well, I, I'm going to walk that back. Can't do that for everybody. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to wind up going broke that way. I think I would because I'm sure there, is ever, there are a lot of people who would love to listen to these audiobooks. But I highly recommend it. You can get them from the library. You can do what you need to do uh, in the summer. I think it would be a great venture because – it's been really fun, Jess, hasn't it, to be a book reader this season? I was skeptical because I didn't think it would pay off. But here we are in the middle of a season where it's just so fun to theorize where the show is going to go because we're in a lot of uncharted territory. Yeah, and I love that we're kind of deviating from the books a little bit right at the moment where we're going to be going off book, as it were, because I think it's like getting two different endings. It's like watching Clue. And you get three different endings and you get to find out like three different ways the plot can resolve. Oh, my gosh. One plus two plus two plus one. <laughs> yes. Flames oh on the side of my face. Flames. Flames are the only thing that could kill these White Walkers out of the side of my head. <laughs> yeah, that they're, they're, it's the song of ice and fire. So there's our fire. We just have to think about our clue and, and find the ice. But, yeah, you're right. We're about to go off book. And that's a big deal. And that's something that has concerned me. I've kind of made those concerns vocal on social media and probably on these Game of Thrones podcasts. But, man, we're going off in, in, with us in, in a splendor. Like we're going off in a really big way because we hard home couldn't be more different in terms of giving us something that is sort of talked about in the books. But it, it, we really see what plays out on screen in such a magisterial way that uh, kudos to the show for pulling this one off. But before we get into hard home. And everything we want to talk about with the feedback that we received. Jess, what are your thoughts, generally speaking, about the adaptation 
uh, of these books into this show uh, by D&D and, and everything that they've done throughout good, bad, ugly, whatever you want to talk about. Just just curious about what your thoughts are on the adaptation in general. Well, on the whole, I think they do a beautiful job. And it's so amazing because this is such an intricate universe. And I got to be honest, if I hadn't been when the first season came out, I was reading the books kind of at the same time as I was watching the series. And of course, I've passed the series very quickly. But if I hadn't had the books there while I was watching the series, I think both things would have been very confusing and hard to make sense of. But (laughs) I think it's such a vast universe that they have managed to capture really amazingly. I think most of the casting has been spot on. And I'm, you know, there are a few things I could quibble with, but on the whole, it's like I don't want to I don't want to dig deep to find the things that are wrong with it because it's just so much fun. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably easier for Josh and Terry to do that when they host this show because they've been doing this show from the jump. So, they've already established uh their their love and care for the things that are going on in the show. So it's a little hard for us to come in and really focus on the things that we don't like because I I like you I have most of the things about this show that I do like. It's gotten a little more difficult for me. I've obviously been upset about the lack of Lady Stoneheart, about the lack of Greyjoys in this season, about the way that a young Griff storyline is just sort of dispensed with. And occasionally I get very angry that book lovers' favorite lines, like, you know, Ed Fetch Me Block or uh, Only Cat or things like that are left out. Uh, But on the whole... It, this is an impossible task, really, of adaptation. It is, uh, it is a task that really only HBO seems like they, they're capable of undertaking in the way it needs to be undertaken. And on, and on the whole, they've done a, a really, really fantastic job. I do think that there's a little bit of a butterfly effect, like George R. R. Martin talks about, where they make one change and put a character in one place, and once they do that, then it leads to greater changes. I think the Sansa storyline, at least with where she's at geographically and, and what's happened uh, in terms of placing her there this season, I think that owes some of that to that because she's in she's in the area and Littlefinger needs to move on and he's going to make some plans with her in the north. And once you, you're kind of placing her in places and doing things that that take away from where the books are, I think it's difficult. So I do think the show suffers a little bit in terms of that. And it's it's easy to pick out and criticize those moments where they've made a change. And then that change that they've made leads to major storyline changes. Yeah, that's true. But I also, you know, no disrespect intended to George R. R. Martin, because these are easily the best books I've read in 10 years. And every year before the series starts up again, I reread them all and I get excited again. But Somewhere around the Storm of Swords, his editors stopped being able to tell him to cut things and, and speed things up and stop overusing this phrase or that, and it shows. And I think the series has done a great job in a lot of places of streamlining what is really dense and kind of a slog in some places. Like, they've managed to unravel the Myrnese knot, they hacked right through that thing. And <laughs> yeah, they sure did. And, you know, there are some characters that I miss. Like I I'm with Josh. Strong Belwas really should be in the series. But there's other things like Sansa was just going to tread water for an entire other book. Like we kind of know that was about to happen. She has a great chapter in the upcoming Winds of Winter, but she's still in the book in Bookland. She's still at the Eerie. She's not really doing anything. 
And here, like, I don't love the way that they've treated her, but she's actually, she's driving the plot a little bit, and I appreciate that. And she's actually got a little bit more to do than she did in the books. Yeah, I mean, it it is clear, (laughs) except for through action. It is clear that narratively, these writers, uh, the writers of the show, I should say, and D&D specifically, really love Sansa, the character. They like her, I think, and, and want to pay her more uh, attention and more and give her more credence than I think George R. R. Martin has given her in the books. And fair play to them for that. It is a little difficult, uh, the situations in which they've put her specifically and how that's really played out in terms of the way the show has been composed. But uh, I'm all for them doing things like paying her more service and giving her more to do. Uh, it's unfortunate some of the things, the way they played out, of course, and that's been talked to death. And I'm, I'm certainly not on team. I'm OK with that. But I, I agree with you. Speeding up Tyrion and Danny meeting. Like I said, we don't get young Griff. We don't get the storyline with John Connington. Grayscale is given to people that don't have it. But I do think that speeding some of that up is is expedient and it, it does serve a better purpose than some of the meandering that does go on with a lot of the characters in the Game of Thrones books in the Song of Ice and Fire. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of the changes that have made have been for the better. And some of the changes that have made that have been made are disappointing. But, you know, the show's not done. Seen a lot of speculation online. And this is I'm probably tinfoil hat hopeful stuff that we're at some point going to see Lady could could be the season. We're going to get Lady Stoneheart. It's going to happen. Well, I but, heard the, the title of Episode 10 kind of points that way, doesn't it? Yes. It's, it's, is it called Mother's Mercy? Yeah. Yeah. So they're really good with their titles, right? They use a title like The Gift, and it can refer to the literal land and the gift, uh, or it can refer to Tyrion as a gift. And they've done this with a lot of show titles. If you go back and you look at the finale from last season, uh, the title has multiple meanings. And throughout the show, they've done a really good job of keeping their titles really kind of in line with multiple meanings. So I think seeing Mother's Mercy, we're just going to read this as, oh, Cersei's going to do her walk of shame. But there's probably going to be a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I think there's going to be we're going to find some new and interesting ways to play off of that. Yeah. So that that is I get I stay hype. I get hype and I stay hype (laughs) because I always have hope. I have hope that this is going to happen. Like we're going to see the Clegane ball. We're going to see Lady Stoneheart. We're going to see all the things that the book readers that we've been speculating about. We're going to see Dario years. and Benjen turn out to be the same person. Well, well, well let's not get too far. <laughs> we're going to see Varys as a Merling. <laughs> <laughs> Howland Reed is the High Septon, and I am still on that train. Damn I, it. Yeah, you'll ride that one into the ground. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think I will because <laughs> I think I got to look at his feet and they didn't look uh, very Howland Reed-esque. No, so. they really didn't. No, and, and but this is all, I mean, this is all, this is a show that we love. It is still one of, if not the best show on television as it's airing. And even though we can take issue with a lot of what's happened in the show, I think we're both very pleased to be here on the book club talking about these things that have changed and talking about, as you pointed out, what is considered to be by a lot of people, just maybe the best episode of the series. Yeah, I've. I've heard apparently on um, IMDb, they have the user ratings and this has a 9.9 rating and that makes it like, I think it is one of the highest rated series, one of the highest rated episodes of any series ever. It's the third highest. I think the only things that are higher, and this is really funny, the the number one episode is Breaking Bad, Ozymandias. So that, that, I mean, that seems obvious. I I can give it that. The second highest rated episode is from Person of Interest. (laughs) Really? 
Yeah, and I looked at the top 15 or 20 because I, you know, I was reading that thing about the Game of Thrones episode being there. And several of them are person of interest episodes. And it makes me think maybe I need to watch person of interest. You know, it's not a bad program. My husband loves it. Um, I have been known to sit down and watch it from time to time. I wouldn't rate any episode of it that I've seen um, higher than the worst Game of Thrones episode. But <laughs> are there are there person of interest books? Can we do a person of interest book club? Um, there might be like novelizations. Oh, that's my favorite thing. When you novelize like a a TV series in between seasons or you do something great like the lost novel or things that kind of pop into the canon of the show. Oh, man, I'm all for that. I want to read those person of interest novels if they exist. Yeah, I I will track those down for you. We can do a little spinoff podcast. Thanks. I have a pretty uh, I have a pretty, pretty good life. But uh, but yeah, I'm always worried that the icy winds are going to blow in and I'm going to be at hard home uh, and then I'm going to need something to occupy my time. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Speaking of occupying time and a hard home. Oh, my gosh, Jessica, we had so many comments and a lot of feedback about hard home and the episode in general. But but just specifically, I kind of want to go broad to narrow here. We had a couple of competing comments here, which I think are interesting. First of all, John Santucci tweeted and asked if Game of Thrones, the show, has done a good enough job after Hard Home or of portraying the threat of the White Walkers as an extinction level event. And conversely to that, James Ferguson tweeted at us and said, now that we've had Hard Home, how hard is it going to be to keep us invested in the other stories? So I, I really want to know from from you, Jess, show versus books or just show in general, where are we with Hard Home? Does this change the game completely? Uh, I think it changes it for me as a book reader. So I'm interested to know what you think. Yeah, well, I think, well, it's kind of amazing because in the, I think in the books, we're still in this place where nobody really believes that there are, you know, freaky ice zombies that are going to come down and destroy all of us. But right. we now have irrefutable concrete proof with 5,000 eyewitnesses that this is going on. And I think what's fascinating is that this is kind of the first time the book, the show's frequently taking the opportunity to show us scenes that they can't show in the book because of the limitations of having a point of view character narrating each chapter. So we would see over the years, we've seen people like Littlefinger and Olena interacting, or we got Cersei and Robert in the first season, that fantastic scene. And this is the first time I think the show has really done the opposite. They've taken a main point of view character and they've sent him off to something that he doesn't witness in the book and that we only really hear about in passing. And we take it and we blow it up and maximize its impact. Do you think that this is going to happen in the books then? Because my understanding, and you can please check me on this because you've reread way more recently than I have. But my understanding is we we, we know that a, a boat party has been sent and there's the famous um, dead things in the water kind of comment that was sent back. And my understanding is that Tormund is on his way with a ranging party over land to get to hard home to check out the scene. Uh, And that's where we leave it in the books. Do you think we're going to get a hard home style kind of point of view event in in Winds of Winter? We we might, but it's going to be a little bit different. I think right now in the book land, we kind of we've heard that there are some terrible things happening at hard home, but it's really more along the lines of people being terrible to each other and not ice zombies being terrible to people. Um, They have some white issues, but they've also got people from Bravos coming over and kidnapping them and selling them into slavery right. and there is no little you know wooden wall that they've got built at the hard home of the books they are all living in caves and it's kind of terrible um 
So I think there is definitely potential for the books to have something like that. And I think the threat of that is something that I think has been maybe a little bit less obvious in the books because we don't even like we've seen White Walkers like three times in the books, maybe. And we've actually gotten right up in their faces on the show. Yeah. And and I think that's right. And I furthermore, I don't know when I see a show, when I see an episode or when I see a scene that is outside of book canon, especially one that seems to be ahead of book chronology. I wonder, is this something we're going to get in Winds of Winter? Because I'm pretty hyper vigilant. I, you know, if I, I was a big fan of the Harry Potter series and I'd, and I'd read the books as they were coming out, obviously, before seeing the films. I don't think that I would have wanted to see a Harry Potter film if I hadn't read the book that it was based on. And I was kind of taking that stance with Game of Thrones. But now I'm finding that when an event like Hard Home happens, I'm not sure if this is going to show up in the book or not. Like I, it, it might show up or we might, it, this might've just been a way, like you just said, to personalize the white walkers, get all up in their face because they want us focusing on that mythology. And maybe we're just going to get a lot more of that mythology in winds of winter, but maybe not in this specific way. Yeah. And without, without having like George R. R. Martin's very like lush, evocative prose, we don't really like that is a handicap that the show has to overcome and they have to show us some stuff literally that Martin can just hint at. Right, right. But you know what's interesting? There's a guy on Reddit. I'm sure you saw this. There's this guy who has a spreadsheet. Incidentally, this is how all of my interesting anecdotes start. There's a guy with a spreadsheet. <laughs> and it, he's been tracking every scene in the show and comparing it to where it falls in the books. And according yes. to him, this episode had the least correlation to the books so far. Wow. I hadn't seen the update, but that, I mean, it makes a little bit of sense, right? Like we, we are seeing a lot of scenes that don't have correlation to the books. The great scenes in this episode between Danny and Tyrion, the scenes that are happening at Hardhome. These are things that we just haven't gotten to in book chronology yet in the ways that they're being depicted on the show. So yeah, I, I, I can bet I can buy that. I can buy that. This is, this is an episode where most of it wasn't in the books. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't think we're going to see exactly what we've seen here, but we're going to see something kind of like it. Yeah, I think that I think that we probably will. I mean, it might happen somewhere along the wall, uh, more close by to Castle Black or where some of our point of view characters are so that we can see some of that. But, uh, you know, we're we're entering a pretty quick in, in a pretty quick order here. I, what what point of view characters will even be at the wall? Well, uh, I have a theory. Well, let's hear it. I can't wait. I think, I've got my tinfoil. OK, you know how every book we've got a prologue and an epilogue and they are told from the point of view of someone who's pretty much toast and we're never going to see him again. Yep. Like, you know, we get Kevin Lannister, we get that random fray that has the great line about uh, your father was not a tapestry. Um, right. We get a warg here or there. Yeah, we, we get, get Veramir Six Skins, I think, was one of them. And so I think one of these prologue epilogue is going to be somebody at one of, like, at the end of A Dance with Dragons, we were at this point where John had sent out, uh, he'd re-garrisoned almost every castle along the wall. Right. I think we're going to see one of those castles is going to be one of the, either the prologue or the epilogue, and it's going to be, like, you know, whites and white walkers you know, en masse, you know, destroying everything in their path. Yeah, because isn't, I mean, it's it's believed through folklore and otherwise in the context of book canon, right, that the wall not only is a wall, but it also contains some sort of magic to keep the white walkers out of Westeros. Right, right. And there's got to be some way they get through that. 
Yeah. And there are, yeah, there's, and there's certain like places that you, that are magical, um, that you need to be able to like say certain words in order to get through the gate. And so I think there's definitely, we've seen some hard evidence of that. So let's take this to a really crazy place. Jess, are you ready? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little scared now. <laughs> um, I, I, this is a, this is an audio only podcast. I can't do anything to harm you. I tell everyone I podcast with that, but I'm really reassuring you here. Um, no, this is about, this is about Jon Snow's fate. Oh, okay. And this is a pretty good one. This is a pretty good uh, theory here from, uh, from Hannah. Hannah emailed in and said, after watching the episode, I put on my tinfoil hat and I had a thought. Could John be brought back by the Night's King? Old Nan told Bran that the Night's King was a Stark. John and the Night's King have this crazy stare off at the end of the episode. Was he just sizing John up or recognizing something in him? Could this mean anything or is it just fan fiction? I'm like a storyteller. That's what I do. Uh, we just we don't need drops. We, Jess, we yeah. got this on. We, we are like drop fly. generators. Um, yeah, we- <laughs> I love that. That's the first time I've heard that theory. And it's me really too. hard to find a theory that we've never heard before. I know. Me too. Good job, Hannah. Yeah. Um, did you catch in the um, scene where Sam and Ollie are foreshadowing like crazy? Did you catch Sam saying John always comes back? Yeah, it was so hard. I wanted to point that out. I mean, I, I kind of very... I glossed over, mentioned it on the feedback on the uh, on the live show with Rob this week. But yeah, I mean, I definitely caught that. Don't worry about John. He always got that. Was, that was that was for us. Right. Yeah, that had to be for us. Like, especially he says we've been worrying about him for years. He always comes back. Yeah, that's for us. Good on them. Good on them for doing that, because I you know, they're not going to necessarily spoil anything by that, because as Hannah observes, he could come back in a really dark way. And I think that ties into the theory that something's got to get the White Walkers through the wall if they're going to truly be a threat. This extinction extinction level event, uh, like John Santucci had tweeted at us, uh, if they're really going to be that, then something's got to get them through this wall. And if there are places where maybe you'd be able to pass if you knew a little something or you knew what to say or you knew what to do, uh, maybe John being being raised up as a white walker. Uh, maybe that has some, lend some credence to that. And I will say uh, my friend, Andrew pointed this out to me that I think the, the, the big, one of the prevailing theories about how John will resurrect is that Melisandre will bring him back to life. Right. right? That's the one that I always hear. And I think like, why else is she there? You know, and that's the thing. She's not there. Right. Yeah. Didn't she march South with she did. She's marching on Winterfell. So she's not going to be there when the Stabby Stabby Fun Time gang has their little party. It's true. And maybe, like, I don't know that that necessarily means anything from the books, but maybe we're going in two different directions here. Maybe John's coming back in two different ways. Oh, my gosh. I can't keep it all straight, Jess. This is making my head explode. I know. It's great. It's like watching sliding doors. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like somewhere, I, this is not going to play. Yeah, this is just going to play out in a really different way. Yeah. I, I like the clue example. I really do. Yeah, and I think it also like helps me be a little optimistic because I think there's real potential when whenever anything you love gets adapted for the screen, there's always the fear that they're going to totally ruin it. And in this case, I think they're not only not ruining it, they're taking it in a new and interesting direction. And I would love to see, since we have the Night's King, since he's only a really peripheral character in the books, since we have him front and center... Let's do stuff with him. 
Let's do this. I agree. And let's do this, Jess, if you could, uh, and I can, I can pepper in when, with what I know for sure. Can we get a primer on the Knights King? Because I think we've had a lot of questions about this Knights King. And I see a lot of people out there. I know who maybe read the books and didn't read the world of ice and fire or didn't know that this would be such an important person to focus on. So I know that this isn't fact because it's all unreliable narrators and folklore, but what do we know from book canon about the Night's King? Okay, everybody gather around and old Jess will tell you some stories. Oh my gosh, I've got my can of beans ready. I'm going to spin some yarns. Oh man. The Night's King in Westerosi folklore was allegedly the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And he was, some stories say he was a Stark, and some stories say he was a Bolton, and some say he was a random bastard. We don't really know. And he was at the Night Fort, which was the main castle on the, on the wall at the time. And he is looking out north of the wall one night, and he sees a woman, a beautiful woman whose skin is as white as the snow, and he falls in love with her. And he leaves his post to go after her. And they fall in love, and they took over the night fort, and he's a scary dude now. We don't really know what happened to him after that, just that he abandoned his post and then menaced the men of the Night's Watch. Yeah, and I think there's maybe some theories, right, that uh, it's somewhere along the line he might have, like the, the woman or he might have supposedly been killed uh, by Bran the Breaker or by, um, you know, by all the people that were coming in that were around. But we don't really know, do we? We don't really know what happened to the Night's King or for that matter, if this is an appropriate thing to call her, the Night's Queen. Yeah, we don't really know. Some of the theories say that they might be the ancestors of the White Walkers, um, but really it's one of those things I think the story probably evolves over time and everybody tells it a little bit differently. So it's probably really hard to figure out where any truth is in there, but there's one thing I noted about that story that I think is really interesting. Is it the Night Fort part? It's not the Night Fort part. Okay, tell me what it is because I I flag that. We have to go back to the Night Fort, yeah. Um, the part where the Lord Commander leaves his post and pisses everyone off because I know another Lord Commander who's about to leave his post and piss everyone off. Yeah, that sounds familiar at all to you. <laughs> We're right in there with that, aren't we? Yeah, we are right in there. I think it's kind of a cautionary tale to certain Lord's Commander. Well, and that there, I mean, that's in some ways there's similarities to the story of Bloodraven uh, and the fact that he, you know, was was has left uh, his service allegedly uh, and is still alive uh, and is doing some maybe questionably uh, good or questionably bad things that we really don't know about. So there are a lot of stories it seems like about people from the Night's Watch or even Lord Commanders of the Night's Watch abandoning their post at one for one reason or another and kind of. I don't want to say uh, commiserating, but uh, commensurating, uh, maybe uh, not commensurating, but like laying down with the others, I should say, and cohabitating and doing things that are a little bit crazy. Uh, and maybe both of these uh, both of these stories are are not too dissimilar from where we're at with Jon Snow. So it, it should be very interesting. I don't know. There are a lot of there, we've gotten a lot of feedback and it's hard to talk about this on on the live shows that I've been on uh, or the feedback shows because it gets too much into the book kind of story. But I want to know your take on this, Jess. Do you believe since there's clearly a difference between the whites and the white walkers and we've only seen a limited number of white walkers on the show, they're converting these babies from Craster. 
there seem to be theories out there that a lot of the White Walkers are, in fact, formerly converted babies from Craster. But they all are they all are they seem ancient. But Craster was only sending sons and we've only seen male White Walkers. So are you buying in on this at all that, that, that these White Walkers are turning babies to grow into actual White Walkers and not whites? Yeah, because we know how you make a white and it's different. It's a totally different process. Like the, I think they're making the white Walker babies. I don't know why they're such a bunch of sexists that they aren't interested in the daughters, but I guess that's good for Gilly and company. Um, yeah, I think, I think the Craster babies are turning into baby white walkers. And I think the whites, you get your zombie army from dead people. And right. that's how you make a white. If you're making, if you're touching a live baby and turning it blue, that is different. But clearly a lot of these white walkers have probably existed since the time of, since the time of the first ever Night's Watch, since the time of the Children of the Forest, since the time of, the, almost probably since the Age of Heroes. Like they have existed in this world in Westeros, uh, maybe not Maybe not in form uh, and in army form until uh, until the thirteenth uh, Lord's Commander was looking out and saw uh, and saw the White Walker Queen, if you will, the sorceress. But but they've existed in some form uh, throughout. There are theories out there that they were sort of the the discarded or uh, disenfranchised uh, diaspora children of the forest, the people that were separated for one reason or another. That maybe they had malicious intent even then, uh, and they were exiled or, or sent off to the, the White Walker, the, the north version of Siberia, which uh, has to be very, very, very cold, and the things that they got into there. So there are a lot of theories about what their history is, but I, I do think there is some credence to that fact that they probably are turning these babies to turn them into actual White Walkers. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's worth noting that nobody had seen one of these guys. Like, the wildlings don't see them, you know, Night's Watchmen don't see them. For years and years and years, nobody had ever actually seen one. They were just kind of like an old wives' tale. So where were they during all of that? Like they were supposedly, you know, wandering around the lands of Ollie's Winter, what what have you. But all of a sudden, they've exploded. There's more of them in the world, and I think that is not a coincidence. Or that's yeah, that's not a total blind coincidence. Yeah, there's some sort of inciting event. And like I don't magic know. is waking up in the world again. This is kind of one of the recurring themes of the books. Like that's why we have dragons again. And I think right. it's also why we have white walkers again. Do you think we'll get an answer to, to whatever the inciting incident might have been that started magic reawakening in the world? I think we don't necessarily need it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did get it. Yeah, one of my – I mean I really like the book Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. And oh, that's I love that book. book. Yeah, it's going to be a TV series. Uh, Hopefully we'll get into some coverage on post-show recaps here. It's going to be starting very soon. But that's another book where magic existed in the world at one point. Maybe it didn't die out, but it certainly fell back into the shadows. And then one practical magician just happens to show up uh, and begin to practice magic again. And then others maybe are able to do it. And who knows what this does in terms of the world, uh, thinking that magic didn't exist. Contrast to Harry Potter, of course, where magic is going on all around us and us muggles, we just don't know about it. There's something crazy that happened in Westeros. I, I do think there was some inciting incident that raised them all. I don't know if that was something to do with Robert's Rebellion, uh, which very well could have been uh, something to do with the Mad King or something like that. I really don't know. I don't have a good theory on what that inciting incident could have been. But that's something that I definitely am tracking because I, I'm all about the mythos and 
and just everything that goes on in Westeros. So I would love to know, uh, in the context of everything we know about the story, what that inciting incident might have been. Yeah, and you know that there was one, and you know there's an explanation for everything, because there's all this weird stuff that defies science that goes on in Planetos. Um, like, for instance, why are the seasons years and years long? George R. R. Martin says he's got a reason for it, and he won't tell anybody. So I know that's coming up at some point, and it probably also ties into where is the magic. Yeah, some great some great theories about that on the internet as well, that maybe that was an action that the original White Walkers took uh, to create, you know, the the long night and to create uh, the, the problems that happened there because maybe they were using it to try to try to get into Westeros before the wall was built and really conquer everything. And that there's some really good theories out there on Reddit about, about that. So I, you're right. I think that there is an explanation for everything. There is an explanation for this. I'm not sure in Showland if we'll get that because the show doesn't seem to be super hung up on all that backstory and they can still, still tell a really captivating story without it. But we're here on the book club, Jess. That's what we're going to talk about. That's right. Although I, to be fair, the show is the one that, pulled up this one really random story that, you know, gets a passing mention in one of the early books and they put it right in front and center. So, you know, maybe the show's a little more interested than we think. It's true. And we have to read the tea leaves. They know, David and Dan know what uh, the general thrust of the story is going to be from the the plotting standpoint. I mean, George R. R. Martin sat down with them and told them, right? So yeah. they know uh, where the story's going. So I have a feeling that title Winds of Winter uh, is, is going to be pretty telling and that it's going to be awesome, awesome stuff in book six. So much to do with everything that we're kind of hinting at and teasing around right now. I think we're going to get it. We've got a great opportunity to get a lot of that through Bran. Uh, if he's going to do any kind of weird weirwood time traveling uh, and seeing different events, we've got, we've got a really solid opportunity to get some of that stuff. So uh, it, it will be great to see that play out. We actually had a really good question in this line from Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell emailed and said, Matt Campbell sent in several good questions and we'll probably get to a couple of them. But this one in specific is related to what we're talking about now. Matt said, I've read in so many articles this week that the White Walkers are being described as the villains of the series. I take issue with that because why exactly are they the villains? They are creatures to be fearful of for sure. But right now in neither the show or the books, we have no idea what their motivations are. It could be a simple case of trying to take back land that was once theirs, in which case maybe the humans are the villains. What are your thoughts on that, Jess? That was the very next thing I wanted to talk about, because that's something that I have been wondering pretty much since I started reading the books. Like, what the hell do these guys want? Like, yeah. what, is, what are they after? And what is the end game if we're just going to, like, kill everybody and bring them back as zombies? Like, what are you going to do after that? Like, what what's the end goal here? Like, what is the ideal scenario for a White Walker? And... It is really interesting that maybe if we if we were able to see it through their eyes, we might have a very different perception of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, if if they were people who were there before Aegon the Conqueror came and it was sort of their land and they're part of the native peoples that that existed in this land before uh, all of that happened. And you put them up there with the children of the forest because we had the children of the forest and we had the others. And they're they're part of that. There's no doubt about it, that they are part of that sort of existence. 
And they maybe did not agree to the pact that was formed and the agreement that was formed vis-a-vis the building of the wall and, you know, all the gift and all of these things that go in line with that. Um, Maybe they just didn't agree with that and they didn't really have a say in it. They were the people that were cast aside at that point. And so they're the Daenerys Targaryens of this story. They're the people who don't want to be exiled. They want what they think is rightfully theirs and they want to take it back. And and maybe we're we're looking at them negatively. I don't think the show, uh, to answer Matt's question, is really going out of their way to add any nuance to these guys. But I, George R. R. Martin has famously said, "There's you know there's really no moral good, no moral evil in this story. There's just a lot of gray." And I think that that is easily a story that you could say it started that way. They were exiled. They were put aside. And now they really want to come back and they really want to just take what's theirs. And so can we really judge them for that? So I think in a book context, I think Matt might be onto something here. Yeah. And George R.R. Martin, lest we forget, he's the guy that took a character who shoved a seven-year-old kid out a window. And by book four, he's like the sympathetic hero of the story. Right. Right. And, yeah. and, and almost everyone really uh, ha- has gotten into that. And we'll get into that with Cersei in just a little bit here. But you're right. The, these characters, you know, almost to a, to, a, to a person, save like Joffrey, really, uh, in the and books. Ramsey. And Ramsey. Yeah, and Ramsey. Which Fuck that guy. <laughs> FTG, for sure. Yeah. FTG Ramsey, all the way through. But, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But everyone else myself. is, um, everyone else is redeemable and on some level, and they have a backstory and they're sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if uh, part of the story uh, of, of Maggie the Frog uh, is to really give us an idea that Cersei uh, had some unfortunate things told to her when she's younger and she's had a really rough go. But I mean, the books make clear that her situation with Robert is not that unlike Sansa's situation with Ramsay and that Robert was not exactly uh, the ideal situation for her on a lot of levels. Uh, so there is a lot more nuance there. And I mean, let's just get into it. We'll we'll cover maybe one or two more questions on the White Walkers, but I don't want to get any further because we're we're really right there um, with Cersei. So we had a we had a really good question, a couple really good questions actually about this and about uh, about Cersei's situation. The first one was from Matt Campbell again, and Matt said, "We're getting up to the point of the Walk of Shame now. How much will that experience change Cersei?" She breaks down along the way, and afterwards she acts very submissive, humble, like the fight had gone out of her. And a part of Matt thinks that that, that's all just an act. So what are your thoughts on that, Jess? And how do you think the show will portray her in that scene? I think it takes a lot more than that to break Cersei. But I do think that it's going to – I think something in her is going to snap and not – but not necessarily in a way that turns her into somebody that's submissive and humble and – I have a feeling like every time something happens to wrong her, she lashes out and she gets emotional and she's not an idiot, but she also is maybe the most hot-headed character in the entire series. So I think I could definitely see like she's going to be pissed. And I think if she is acting a little bit subdued, I think it's all an act before she like unleashes, you know, the full fury of insane Cersei on everybody. So that that's a great kind of segue to uh, another feedback that our email that we received from Halfman Targ, and Halfman Targ says in the books Cersei Lannister's eyes and presence are constantly compared to wildfire. In book four, we see huge similarities between her and the Mad King. When she burns down the Tower of the Hand, she has an incredibly elated and visceral reaction that unsettles Jaime. 
In the show, Cersei has said that she would burn cities to the ground, quote, in order to protect her children three times in almost the exact same wording. She said it in season four finale to Tywin and twice now in season five. Honestly, uh, Halfman Targ says, I can't imagine all this being a coincidence. Do you think Cersei Lannister will burn King's Landing to the ground, Jess? Do I think Cersei Lannister is a pyromaniac? Yes. 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 I think she's going to, well, she's going to try to burn some stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, I think that there is some belief that we're going to see the walk of shame and that's going to be the end of Cersei's story for this season. Do you think we're going to see more than that this season? Is she going to exact her revenge for her walk of shame this season? I think the walk of shame kind of, it puts a bow on her arc for the season. I don't think we're going to see any of the fallout from that until next season. But next season, the, the sky's the limit. She could light the whole city on fire. Yeah, next season, here go hell come. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, it, it, is, it is interesting because, of course, on this episode, we saw sort of the two sides of Cersei, right? She's being very much uh, the queen regent Cersei every time the Septa's walking in and telling her to confess. And Cersei's just spitting fire in her face and telling her, you know, I'm never going to do that. And then as soon as the Septa leaves, she's, she's blubbering. She's a little emotionally upset. And then eventually by the end of the episode, she's literally licking water off the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I think taking away her pride, I think will also end up taking away her scruples. Like what few she has left they're going to go right out the window. Yeah. Uh, and things that go out the window when they're related to Cersei Lannister or they involve Cersei <laughs> Lannister, they don't always end well for people. So her sending things out the window is not, not something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and you're right. I think that that could go really, really poorly. Uh, it is, it will be interesting to see. We know of course that the scene's been shot, that, that we're going to get the walk of shame. Uh, but I think it is interesting to, to kind of debate, uh, and, and Matt Campbell's, you know, question about whether it would all be an act. Do you feel like we know from the books if the experience has truly changed her? We don't, we don't really get much of the fallout from that. Like at this point in the, at this point in the story, we haven't gotten a whole lot of her reaction. Yeah. And it would be interesting because she's kind of become a point of view character. She didn't start as one. Uh, if, if we, if we get into a position where Cersei is an evil point of view character, where we are seeing inside her, her, her just angry plotting uh, to exact revenge on whoever in the world that she possibly can. Uh, and to be quite honest, a lot of people are going to be gone by the end of this book uh, or by the end of this season, perhaps. And so some of the people that she would want to exact revenge on aren't going to be around. So I, I guess she would direct it to the High Sparrow or, or, or to the Faith Militant, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, and I actually had a question for you, Jess, because of the butterfly effect, because it changes from the show. Um, do you think it's going to be Littlefinger that ends up committing the murders at the end of the season? Or do you think we're not going to get them at all? Um, I'm not sure we're going to get them. I think that we have not gotten enough of we have not gotten enough of Kevin to really feel anything when they kill him. Not that we got a whole lot in the books, but it's like, oh, yeah, Uncle Kevin, whatever. Like, what are we going to, you know, do we care if he dies? Yeah, they really haven't built him up as a character who him dying uh, will mean a lot. Um, it does seem like it would be in Littlefinger's kind of chaos as a ladder kind of way to put Uncle Kevin on ice because 
that would really just put the the whole rule uh, in the hands of Tommen, uh, who can be manipulated, uh, or perhaps Cersei, if she has some say in it. Um, it. It does seem like a very little finger thing to do to kill uh, to kill to get Kevin off the table. Similarly, you know, Pycelle is another victim there. Uh, I Littlefinger has been homicidal throughout the season throughout the series, so it wouldn't shock me to see it. We know Varys. It's not probably going to show his face at King's Landing since his disappearance could be perfectly timed with Tyrion's escape. I don't think Varys is going to show back up and just kill Uncle Kevin and kill Master Pycelle and just have it be a day. So, Well, he it, could be I, – I could definitely see him like – you know, he showed up in disguise in a few other places and he's a crafty dude. I could see him showing up in disguise. That is but true. You are right He is in that he is not – probably the most welcome guest back in King's Landing right around now. No, and, and Littlefinger on the show has been much more homicidal than Varys on the show. Uh, and I think that there are some theories floating around out there that Varys is going to show up uh, in another place. Um, we don't have an email about this, but uh, I don't know. Do you think we could see Varys uh, showing up somewhere else, like maybe Dorne? Yeah, he could show up in Dorne. I mean, Dorne's just a giant question mark right now. We don't know where they're going with that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's only water gardens. That's all Dorne is, Jess. Yeah, you know, I was led to believe Dorne is a desert, but it seems to me like it's just a big water park. Yeah, it's it's that one set that they were able to shoot at. That seems to be all it is. Um, but yeah, it it makes sense in the context of the show. Tyrion uh, brought up to to Danny uh, this this week that the Martells uh, could be brought into the fold, maybe, but that wouldn't be enough. Uh, we we believe in the context of the show that Varys is on Team Danny, uh, even though he seems to be backing a different Targaryen horse uh, or perhaps Targaryen horse in the books. Uh, so if he really is on Team Danny. Uh, Dorne seems like a pretty natural place for him to go. It's also a place where being an enemy of the Lannisters is not going to is not going to serve you too poorly. So he could be the the Varys ex machina that shows up to bail Jamie out of some really horrible situation here at the end of the season. Yeah, I could see that happening. We, you know, I, something interesting just occurred to me, um, namely that the books have the books have two different stories about. And we can come back to this maybe, but the books have two different stories about a young man from a family of some prominence or secretly of of the family of some prominence going to Meereen to find Danny and marry her. And both of those guys got axed from, from the show. Right. So We have no Quentin Martell. We have no we have no young Griff. Yeah. I mean Danny's not quite as popular as she was in the books. <laughs> yeah, people are on Westeros Tinder. People are swiping left. They don't want any part of that uh, because they think that Tinder for her means literal fire uh, and they're a little afraid of that maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe they just don't want to date a woman with kids. Yeah, well, th- those guys are close-minded. They should they should really open their eyes a little bit more. Uh, but anyway, I don't I don't we we have we cut so much out of Dorne already that maybe Quentin Martell shows up again. But shit, by the time he shows up there, I don't think Danny's going to be in Meereen anymore. So, I you're right. It's interesting that both of those storylines have been cut. I don't exactly know how that's going to play out. Um, one thing about the Danny Tyrion relationship was interesting to Jeff Pittman of, of the Great True Dork Times. Uh, and Jeff Pittman emailed in and said, how much better is the Danny Tyrion commiseration about terrible fathers when you consider <laughs> they both might have the same biological father? Uh, and Jeff I, said, still not as terrible as uh, unwitting siblings Luke and Leia, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the less said about Luke and Leia. 
you know. Star Wars spoilers. But yeah, how about this Danny and Tyrion? Do you think, I mean, I'm on board with the Tyrion as a Targaryen theory. I'm on board. I, you know, honestly, I am not on board. Although I will, I will be fair that his description in the books kind of does point toward Targaryen. Yep. In a way that it, he really, like he looks full Lannister on the show. Um, but honestly, I think there's been so much made of how much like Tywin Tyrion is. And I kind of buy into, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of buy into like, he's so fundamentally like Tywin that even though Tywin spent his whole life denying it, I think it's a stronger case. I would almost make the case that. You know, maybe the other Lannister children could be secret Targaryens. So, you know, a friend of mine brought that up to me this week and said, maybe none of the Lannister children are actually Lannisters. And They're I'm all like, Targaryens. We're, we're really getting the tinfoil out now, but it is possible, right? Like it is possible. There is a lot of madness in Cersei and there is, it, I mean, it, it, look at, look at it this way. Let's say Jaime and, and Cersei are in fact Lannisters and Tyrion is a Targaryen. Then what happened? Then Jaime killed Tyrion's father and Tyrion killed Jamie's father. Right. Oh, like, that's there's a, crazy. There's a lot of poetry in that. I love there's that. A, there's a lot of poetry in that. That's one of the reasons I'm on team Tyrion as a Targaryen. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. I, I will give you that. But, but if Jamie and, and Cersei are Targaryens and then Jamie un, unknowingly killed his own father and Tyrion did not. Tyrion is in yeah. fact, not a Kingslayer or Jamie's not a Kingslayer. He's a Kinslayer and Tyrion is nothing. Tyrion killed this guy who said, you know, right before Tyrion killed him, he said to him, you're no son of mine. And I mean, that to me is like, okay, you're a Targaryen. That's fine. You, there were, you were rumored to have a tail, uh, you, all these things. And I don't know, there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of fuel to that fire. It's been talked about here on the book club, but, uh, but you're right. I think that there's a possibility. Do you want to talk any more about that, about that possibility that Jamie or Cersei might be Targaryens? Yeah, well, and it, there's basically, it's all coming from one line in the book, like all the best theories do. Um, for sure. And that theory uh, stems from the story of uh, Tywin and Joanna Lannister's wedding night. And they do the bedding ceremony. And it is said in the books that the king took certain liberties. And those are the words used. He yes. took liberties. And we don't really know what that means. But that's the, that's the line that's used. And it suggests to me that, you know, the king might have had a thing for Joanna. And yeah, I think that's pretty strong. I think he probably went to that well at least once, but I don't know which time. Um, yeah, I think that's possible. We, you know, prima nocte is a thing. Like yeah. that is something that has happened uh, or, or, alleged, or allegedly has happened in the world in history. And, uh, and so it would not be in any way out of keeping for that to play out in this story a little bit, especially uh, with someone, uh, you know, like Eris. So it is entirely possible that 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 happened uh and i do think that that the idea that he had such a liking for her is probably what leads to you know fuel to the fire for the Tyrion's the targaryen story he there's a, a, other quotes where he you know he says bring her back to court it's been a while since i've seen her beautiful face you know and the uh when the world of ice and fire came out of course the uh, the co-editors and co-writers of the book did an ama on reddit where they said they thought that the stories that are in the world of ice and fire specifically 
about the children of Eris <laughs> might be interesting to readers. And there might be actually some really good fuel to that fire. So, yeah, I mean, this is all very possible. I don't think the parentage of any of those three can be fully established and fully said for certain. And I, I really like these these ideas that we've talked about here with Cersei, um, with with kind of the fire that are in her eyes, the half man Targ theory, uh, where she maybe is a pyromaniac and she's really into fire, and that that goes kind of directly with the Targaryen. So yeah, and you know they are still all technically Lannisters because Joanna was also a Lannister. That is true. That is true. So they're and, they're uh, you know at at worst they are half and half. And look, they, Jamie and Cersei, they're all about that, all about the incest. They're uh, incest is best friends. And, and that is not at all a, uh, a, an act which is outside the realm of possibility if you're a Targaryen. That is true. They're, they're all about that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Uh, and, and I think it, it is a, Jeff asked a really interesting question about their commiseration about terrible fathers and that, that conversation, truth be told, when I was watching the episode, as much as I'm driving the Tyrion's a Targaryen train, I wasn't even thinking about that. So I'm looking forward to rewatching that scene in specific with this point of view that Jeff brings up, because I think it does make things seem so much more uh, interesting if they're talking about the same person and not realizing it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter whose father is whose at this point, every single angle you take with this is poetic. And that's kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the mark of a really well orchestrated story. Uh, so good on George R. R. Martin for that and good on the show for not ruining uh, some of these things uh, by completely obliterating them out of being um, like, you know, I and we can get into this a little bit. But uh, I, has has the prince who was promised been really super discussed on the show. I don't think that it has. I think that Melisandre sort of mentions it to Stannis. It says that Stannis is the chosen one at some point. But I, I mean, I feel like we, we want the AA reborn kind of theory happening when we're going to get Jon Snow being stabbed. But I don't think that that's been set up in, in the show at all. No, not really. But they don't really go to the prophecies very much. Like whenever there is a prophecy, it's like Melisandre just looked in her flames and she saw it on the flame TV. And yeah. we don't ever really get we've not heard the story of the prince that was promised. We've not heard much about Azor High, except I think incidentally, Melisandre thinks that that's Stannis. But right. that's pretty much it. And I think I don't know if that means that that's less important. I think it just means it's harder to tell that story on television. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think they're telling slightly different stories on television that are a little easier for people to uh, take in bites because this is already a show where people have a lot of difficulty keeping track of every story and every character, understandably so. So I think you're right. I think throwing a bunch of prophecies into the mix, I think they make that more difficult. They can certainly do that, though. Like they can certainly sort of retcon some prophecies in. They certainly then, could have handled the House of the Undying a little bit less stupidly. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. That might be my – that is in my bottom five things the show has ever done. I'm, I'm on your team on that one. I completely agree. And it was really disappointing. Um, it was really, really disappointing to see – what wasn't there and how all that played out. On the other hand, as we get into this sort of realm where we're, where we're getting ahead of the books a little bit and the show has tipped off a lot uh, in terms of where we think the books might be going, it's probably still worth going back and rewatching because we'll know what the show is really focusing on at this point uh, and what it's not. So that is disappointing. I, I think you could have the scene go down 
with John, very similar to how it goes down in the books with flags flying overhead and tears and everything that want to tip off the, the AA prophecy, if you will. And then we could see that prophecy being discussed in season six. And that would give people like, oh, my God, they tipped it off the whole time. Like it was in the show and we didn't even realize it. So I think they could still do that. Yeah, I think similar to how they've handled the scene with you know, young Cersei going to see Maggie the Frog. Like yeah. a lot of the stuff that the that Maggie the Frog tells her is stuff we already know. Right. So if we we can shoehorn that in at any point pretty much and be like, oh, yeah, well, they said this thing and that's already happened. So this other thing might also be correct. Yeah. And I think that you're right. I think that they have done uh, they, they the Maggie the Frog scene was big for any number of reasons. It's their first real flashback on the show. Uh, then we, we, you know, it, it's setting up some sort of prophecy type stuff, which we know, you know, we just talked about how we want more of that. So it is a, it is a game changing scene, not so much as the hard home scene, but it is a game changing scene for the series uh, in terms of how they did it. And I think it opens the door for them to do very similar things uh, with the Azora High kind of theories and the things that are playing out there. Uh, I am interested to know, do you think that Stan, are we, we going to see Stannis die this season? Is that going to happen? I don't think Stannis is going to die because Stannis is still i think stannis is still a big question mark for everybody um i think that stannis is not dead in the books and that would suggest to me he's probably also not i think he's got a lot more to do on the show yeah a lot of people think that he might become a commander of the night's watch like that might be a really good role for stannis yeah you know he'd be really good at that that's that's playing to all of stannis's strengths and you know none of his weaknesses Right. He's 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 a protector of the realm. He's cold. He has his own thing he can preside over. He doesn't have to be beloved by his people like this makes him a pretty good uh, Lord Commander, I think. Yeah, I think it makes him probably a, a less fun king. But, you know, Lord Commander seems tailor made for him. Yeah, it really does. And and I, I mean, I don't know I, because of that. I don't want him to die on the show. But I do think that it could happen. He seems to be facing this Stannis' choice here where he's going to have to decide uh, if he's going to kill Shireen or not and sacrifice her in order to bring about that victory. Is that something you think we might see this season? I hope not. I think we're pointing to it pretty hard, but I liked that he actually yielded his you know coldness a little bit at the point where it was being suggested, oh, you got to burn your daughter alive. And he's he's like... Absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. So it's it's nice to know that there is a line somewhere with Stannis because you really don't know. He's such a he's such a lawful neutral guy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm unfortunately of the opinion that the only reason they set that line is so that when he crosses it, you'll understand the emotional stakes of his crossing that line. Like, I feel like the scene with he and Shireen was meant to set up Grayscale some more uh, and talk about how it wasn't necessarily a fatal sentence in case another character besides uh, or I guess there are people who care about Ser Jorah. But uh, <laughs> unless another I apologize, oh, I know the, the down Abbey fans out there are probably like he's a he's a decent guy. He owns a newspaper uh but he's such a but, nice guy he's been in the friend zone for five seasons yeah and i mean there's just no there's no escaping come on jorah get there there's no you can't even fight your way out of the friend zone like didn't anybody ever tell him that but but yeah i i think there's a possibility that scene was really meant to set up the fact that when stannis does do this or uh you know Celise, like she could do it like right she could yeah i could see Celise do it because that, she's, could, that could happen she's way more into melisandre than stannis ever was and i think this point this plot point could definitely drive a wedge between stannis and melisandre right but i think that he might not have the final word on it either 
Yeah, I think that's right. And and I so I think that we might not see Stannis do it, but I think it could still happen. I if I'm Shireen, if I'm that actress that plays Shireen, I'm not buying a new condo uh, just yet. Yeah, I'm don't buy for, that house in Hawaii. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for my name to show up on that season six casting. Gonna get arsed. Yes, you don't you don't want any people. You got you got some. Uh, Got some Shireen Baratheon on you. You got some Shireen on you, Jess. We don't want that. We <laughs> no. poor Shireen. Poor uh-huh. Shireen. And we know no patch face, so you know, like we could lose Shireen. And I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna take anything away from you know what book readers are hoping is gonna be patch face being some idiot savant. But um <laughs> but yeah, no patch face, so Shireen could go. She she literally has a patch face. I patch face I do not miss. I gotta I gotta say. Yeah, I, I'm with you, uh, by and large. I, I wish that, I mean, I love Strong Bellwas. I don't know if that was meant to be a Strong Bellwas nod a couple of uh, episodes ago. I like to think it is, but it's we need more. grasping at straws. Yeah, I, I agree. Just a big guy who let Tyrion go, that's Strong Bellwas. I don't think so. Yeah, no. Strong Bellwas is bald. Yeah, so first and foremost, yeah, Strong Bellwas is bald. Um, he doesn't look like the albino from The Princess Bride. <laughs> You're in the pit of despair. You're in the pit of despair. Yeah, no, he does not. He does not look like the, that guy at all. So, no, um, let's do some rapid fire here. Uh, okay. Joshua Turner asked, Barry the Bold running Marine in the books or Tyrion running it in the show, which sounds more interesting. Maybe a Tyrion and Grey Worm duo? Uh, Tyrion running it in the show is definitely by far the more interesting proposition. So I yeah. always thought Barristan was a little bit boring. Barry the, Barry the Boring. Barry the Boring. Um, I don't necessarily... I like that he's dead, but I think it does leave some room for Tyrion to step in and actually, you know, he's got the most ruling experience. He was pretty good as Hand of the King. He's going to be, he's going to be great in this role. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be on our radar because while we don't know book wise, what happens with Tyrion, I think Tyrion being a, a, the kind of leader that Marine and, and, and really, all of Essos uh, needs, um, not that he could rule all of it, but, you know, that the free cities or I'm sorry, that Slaver's Bay and all those like Yunkai and Marine and all those. I think he could be a really good uh, a leader for those people. And I think that that's a really good story for him if they could find some way to facilitate that on the show. Uh, that said, if he is a secret Targaryen, he's going to have to ride one of those dragons. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, I, I've long thought that he's probably going to be on that third dragon. I kind of know who's on the second one, but yeah, I think he's going to be on the third. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, brand warging into a dragon seems possible. One of the dragons dying seems possible, but, but Tyrion being on the dragon is there's the poetry in that. So that would certainly take him away from Marine. But in the near term, I think that I don't need to see anything else in Marine. but if he's going to try to keep things right while Danny flies away into nowhere uh, on Drogon's back at the end of this season, so be it. Like I'm okay with Tyrion staying there for the time being. Yeah, you know, give him the keys. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get in the get in the backseat. Let him drive. It'll yeah, be okay. Exactly. All right. So another question from Mike in Cleveland. Uh, Mike asks: Any chance the the double D's are trolling book readers with Ollie? We really don't need that assassination. Do you think they're tipping their hand off too much, Jess? Or are we going to see Ollie stabby stabby fun time, Ollie? I, I think there's no way we're not going to see stabby stabby fun time, Ollie. Although I have to note that. There is on IMDb, there's a guy who's been cast as Bowen Marsh. And he's apparently been in five episodes. <laughs> like, are they just going to be like, oh, hey, Bowen Marsh, like, you know, pull this room style introduction and then have him do the stabby fun time? I don't think that makes sense. I think it's got to be Ollie. 
Yeah, it, it I, and, and my my only question at this point is: Are we going to get the full on Ides of March at Two Brute? Are we going to get an at Two Ollie version of that, or is it really just going to be kind of one thing from Ollie that takes Jon Snow down? I think we gotta have the entire Night's Watch like pissed off at Jon. Yeah, and the, and willing to join in, and that Ollie will be one of the ones who really delivers kind of a key blow. Yeah, um, I mean the same way we had Bowen Marsh kind of throw the last knife in with tears streaming down his face. I think Ollie's going to take that role. He's just going to be like, this is something I have to do because you're a shitty Lord Commander. Stab, stab, stab. Yeah, so maybe maybe the person leading the conspiracy will be Sir Alistair. I mean, he's right there. He wasn't somebody that John took his head off. He just kind of shut up and he's been in the background. But he might actually think that it's the right thing to do to take Jon Snow out. Uh, and you know he doesn't like him. And he's the kind of evil character we've already got built up. So he could probably lead the charge and Ollie could be, like you said, tears streaming down his face, last knife in, Bowen Marsh type character. So I think that that's probably right. I think that they're going to transfer that to Ollie. I don't think we're being trolled here. No, I, I think I think they, I think the double D's don't really think in terms of trolling. Not as much as we would if we were running the show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we would just be throwing it out left and right. I know I would. All right, Mr. Hendricks wants to know, as a huge Theon and Reek fan, Mr. Hendricks is disappointed by the amount of flack that he sees Theon getting for not helping Sansa out this season as he feels he's gone. So he's so far gone right now that it's unfair to hold him responsible. I'm assuming Theon's going to play a role in saving Sansa as he does in saving Jane in a dance with dragons. Do you two think that he can still be redeemed in the eyes of the show's audience? I think he has to, I think otherwise, why did we do that to him? Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. I don't know. I don't know if his redemption is going to come the really tricky thing the show has done, right, is they've put themselves in a position where both Sansa and Theon should rightfully revenge them, you know, revenge, avenge themselves against Ramsey and, and exact their revenge. And so they're in a really tough spot because if you have Sansa pick up, you know, Chekhov's all or whatever she picked up off the ramparts a couple of weeks ago, then and she takes care of Ramsey and that's that, then Theon doesn't redeem himself. Uh, if Theon does it and, and kills Ramsey, then Sansa doesn't really redeem herself. So maybe it's just a matter of Theon helping Sansa escape after it happens or putting her in a position where he redeems himself, not through killing Ramsey, but through just helping her escape. And I think that that I, do you think that'll be enough to redeem Theon in everyone's eyes? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I really I could see also Sansa's got other people in that house that she could be exacting revenge on. So I could see it going like Theon ends up killing Ramsay and Sansa ends up going after, you know, Bolton Sr. Wow, that would be awesome. I would be all for that. Yeah, and I would be I'd be pretty I'd be pretty pumped about that. But I suspect maybe they're just going to slip away like Thief in the Night and we don't actually get any Bolton murdering going on this season. Yeah, I think that that, uh, the only thing that would pull me back from saying no on that is the fact that she picked up that thing that she picked up, but she she could try to use that and it could go south. But we've had that scene happen already, really. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, with the yeah, I mean, so it's it's hard to say exactly where that will go. Uh, Brienne is also sitting around out there, presumably just waiting for a candle to be lit. Yeah, I Brienne's being criminally underused, just like she was in the books. Yep. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I imagine Brienne is not going to just get bored and be like, eh, she's not coming out. I guess I'll go back to King's Landing. Do 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 do. But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen at the end and. 
it's also hard because we're also in uncharted territory here because in the books, we don't know who's dead and who's alive in that neighborhood at that point. Yeah, because we've received letters, but they don't really confirm anything, do they? Yeah, they don't seem like they don't seem like Ramsey would have written them. And we don't know. We don't know if Stannis got there yet. We don't know if the letter that says Stannis is dead is telling the truth. We don't know who wrote that. And we don't have Mance Raider kind of hanging out as as able to bard either. Yeah, and I and I think that there had been some belief that someone else, maybe Theon, was going to play the role of uh, able to bard or or play the role of somebody who was playing a part in the Grand Northern conspiracy. I'm very disappointed, very, very, very disappointed that we haven't seen more about the Grand Northern conspiracy. That we haven't seen uh, the people building up. We haven't seen Frey pies. Yeah, character I miss the most. There. Wyman Manderley? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Sir, me too. too fat to sit a horse. <laughs> it's uh, it's really disappointing that we don't, we, we got a little glint of that uh, when the older woman said that, you know, the North remembers or when she gave him like, you know, we, we still know who you are. Uh, and I, I think that there's room for the show to put some more of that in uh, because they've already kind of introduced that, that the small folk are still loyal to Sansa and that there's a reason why uh, the Starks are still sort of seen as necessary to help, you know, exercise dominion and control over the North. But we haven't seen enough of the conspiracy to take him out. We haven't seen random Moltons dying around Winterfell. I would love to see some of that. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't seem like we're getting – I mean it seems like we're building to a pretty uh, a pretty big moment here uh, in terms of where we're at uh, book-wise versus show-wise. We're, we're getting pretty close to right where the books are Winterfell-wise. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely right there and there's not – it's going to have to be very, very different because we don't have anybody I think that has the mental capacity to – bring something in like that. Like, yeah. I don't believe that Theon could do it. And I don't think Brienne is crafty enough to do it. And I don't think Sansa, I think Sansa would be much more straightforward about it. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and it, you, you have to, it's just so weird because on the show, they've introduced Littlefinger's big plan to take the Knights of the Vale, wait for the Boltons and the Ramses to beat each other down and to swoop in with the Knights of the Vale and take Winterfell or Knights of the Vale and take Winterfell and do whatever he wants and be the, you know, the, the, the ward of the North, like do. And that obviously is probably not his end game, but that's what he's saying to Cersei. So feel like we're probably going to see that on the show. Like we're going to see that come to fruition. He's talked about it. So it's going to happen. So in order for that to happen, the Boltons and the, and, and Stannis really have to kind of beat the tar out of each other for a little while here. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but Littlefinger, you know, he's not as he's not as with it in the show as he is in the books. No, like he's made show, some yeah. huge tactical errors. Yeah, show Littlefinger is not not, not the man I would want him to be uh, from a brilliant standpoint. So it, there are some gaping holes uh, in his plans, and of course, that's the plan he articulated to Cersei. So who knows if that's actually his plan, or if that's specifically what he told her uh, to perhaps curry favor and get into a position where he could do what he wanted. So it will be, it will, I just don't know that we're going to see a payoff to these storylines uh, in this season. I mean, if, 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 if Shireen is sacrificed this season, something will come of that. So I don't know if it'll be Ramsey dying or Roos dying or something, but something will probably come of that. Yeah, it's really, it's Chekhov's burned child. <laughs> right. Although we still have uh, Balon Greyjoy just waltzing around uh, in the Iron Isle. Without a so. care in the world and Without no faceless men around. 
Nope, that's exactly right. So, uh, so we don't know uh, if Melisandre's magic is always going to work on the show. Uh, we have a sense that it might. So, if she does sacrifice Shireen, something should come of that, and it might be instantaneous, and it might be something that affects this whole story. So, it will be interesting uh, whether this could lead to redemption for Theon. It will be a little weird to see. Oh, he helps Sansa escape, so he's ultimately good. He could have stopped her from getting raped. Like he could have done a lot of things. So. I, I am. I understand what Mr. Hendricks said about how the, the fact that he's been so beaten down means that it's going to take a while to snap him out of it. And I'm, I understand and appreciate that. I just don't know if the audience is going to be on board with all of that. Yeah, I think it's he's going to have to do something pretty awesome to redeem him from all the terrible things that he has done. Yeah, uh, and, and that's true. Uh, it, it will be it will be tough to see. All right. Two more quick questions. OK. Scotty uh, emailed in and wants to know, do you think the show is going to reveal what we talked about with the Night's King? So we talked about this a little bit already, how deep into flashback territory the shows are going to go. Jess, do you think maybe through Bran that we're actually going to see some of the mythology of the Night's King on the show? Or do you think that that's not going to happen? I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think it would be very hard to incorporate that much backstory without it just being a talking head. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and the times when the show has tried to do this sort of montage of interesting things like the House of the Undying, we haven't had uh, the best luck with that. So Yeah, and it, it always ends up feeling like they're hanging a lampshade on it. Yep. And I I don't think there's any seamless way to incorporate the, that information. All right. Final question, Jess. OK. Matt Campbell. So which of these one one the giant scenarios yeah. is most likely to happen? Place your bets. Okay. One one A becomes the one thousandth Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. <laughs> B is a secret Targaryen. <laughs> C will get married off to Sansa or D Hodor. Well, I think we gotta go with Hodor. I think we have to go with Hodor. That's a, that's the catch all, right? That's the that's the you know, anything else. We'll we'll take the field. We'll take Hodor. Yeah, it that kind of <laughs> I, I, I saved that one for last because it really puts a bow on what this is. We talked about who would become the thousandth commander of the light and the night's watch. We talked about people that might be secret Targaryens. We talked about Sansa and what her plans were. Uh, and so it's really funny to think about all those theories that are popular and in play. We got to talk about one, 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 one. We just got to give some love to one, one. Yeah. One, one is the secret third participant in the Clegane bowl. Get oh hype. My gosh, get hype. I am so hype if that happens. And isn't there, there's some crazy story about how one, one. Oh is, yes. I know this story. Go for it. Tell me. One one is uh, he's a giant. He's yes. he is named after Giants quarterback Phil Sims, who wears the wears the number eleven, which is one one. Oh my gosh! And we had to there, talk about sports. Josh wasn't here. Yeah, I know. And I'm not more. I'm not a sports person, but um, George R. R. Martin and his friend Patrick, who is a Dallas Cowboys fan, had this bet going, and it was over a particular game. And in the books, there is a scene where one one destroys a guy named Sir Patrick whose sigil is a silver star on a field of blue. Oh, that's so good. It's so it's good. pretty good. And I love I love all those random things that he slips in. Like there's in the first book, I think there's a nod to three knights that are named after the three stooges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many great things like that in these books that 
I, I when it's all said and done, I, I mean, I really hope that George gets to finish his story on his own terms and the way he wants. I can't wait for his sort of uh, J.K. Rowling-esque sort of he's going to go to some school or some event and just word vomit all of the backstory <laughs> you could ever imagine. Uh, he doesn't need to write the, you know, the, the Tolkien-esque like a Bible of, of Westeros, although the I would absolutely buy it. World of Ice and Fire is already that. <laughs> it's pretty much that already. Uh, but but I, I want to know. I want to know these other backstories that are there. I want to know all the, the fun facts about things he threw in because of bets with his friend Patrick or because of silly things that have happened in the world. I'm, I'm going to eat it up because that's what I want to do. I want to eat up everything that is in this world. I'm, I'm sick for it. Uh, and that's why it's been such a pleasure, Jess, to talk to you uh, about all this stuff tonight uh, and really just nerd out is ultimately what the book club is about. For oh, me. The, this was so much fun. Like I, I never get to talk about it in this much detail when with someone who is this well-versed. And so it's been, it's been really a true delight. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll have to, we'll have to start a post post show recap book club, book club, uh, where we talk about what Josh and Terry talked about, Jess. Yeah. We'll just get super meta with it. I like that idea. I really do. But, but speaking of meta, what, do we have a hashtag? Do we have something people can send us to let us know they were listening to what we were saying about what they were saying? Um, I got swipe left for Danny. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think we can go with that. Swipe is that swipe with a Y? <laughs> I think it's I think it's swipe the regular way. Okay, S W I P swipe left for Danny. All right, yep. is that Danny? That's the D yeah D A N Y not D A N Y. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm all right. All right. All right. Not a full house on my mind today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. How can we follow you on Twitter, Jess? If we want to engage with you on this show or anything else that you talk about, um, you may feel free to engage with me on whatever you like. Um, I am Haymaker Hattie on Twitter. Okay. How else can we engage with you? Um. Pretty much, um, you can leave comments. I'm I'm on the comments way more than I should be. So you'll probably, if any of you come in to the comments in a rage, I'm probably going to come right back at you. So that should be fun. Nice. I can't I'm sure wait. I got something terribly wrong and I'm going to hear about it. So well, I'm, I always do that. So no worries there. Yeah, I got uh, that going for me, which is nice. Yes. You, you, in, in, on your deathbed, you will receive eternal consciousness. So I will ride will eternal, shiny and chrome. <laughs> right into Valhalla. People will say not Josh. They'll call you not Josh. They'll wish that Josh was here. They'll wish that Terry was here. They'll call you not Terry. Yeah. Like, that is bound to happen. We're going to suck that up. But yeah, we love Josh and Terry. They will be back next week talking all things Game of Thrones book club. If you're not familiar with how to hit us up, we're always at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our iTunes feed. That's postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. And that will give you everything that you possibly want from post show recaps. You can also tweet at us at post show recaps. You can leave us feedback like so many people did for this episode, which we're eternally grateful for by going to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can even leave us voicemails uh, through a link on that site. So many ways to engage with us here at post show recaps. There's one thing you forgot, Antonio. You didn't tell them how to, you didn't tell them how to engage with you. Oh, well, you know, smoke signals are my preferred way, right? If you're not <laughs> able to code. do that. Yeah. Morse code. Please, please send random tappings uh, of noises. Now you can always tweet at me. I'm at AC Mazzaro on Twitter. That's two Z's, one R. I'd love to talk to you about Game of Thrones and please just uh, tweet at me and tell me how wrong I am about everything. I, I'm a real big fan of that. So definitely want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. Uh, we look forward to talking about this uh, more in the comments. Uh, and really, uh, Jess, I don't think we killed the book club, did we? No, I think the book club is still thriving. 
Fantastic. It's, it'll be it'll still be there. We didn't didn't burn it down. We didn't like let the dragons loose. It'll be exactly as Josh and Terry left it when they pick it back up next week. I did drink half a bottle of Book Club's rum, but I filled I filled it up a little bit with water, so I don't think they're going to be able to tell. Yeah, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like you filled it up to the line they left on the bottle, right? That's what I did. That's what I did. Oh, Again. perfect, perfect. Yeah, we're 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 in perfect shape. We are we're golden. Fine. All right. Well, thank everyone for tuning in and thank you so much, Jess, for taking the time to talk to uh, me tonight and and for appearing on our Game of Thrones coverage here on Post Show Recaps. It was a real treat for me. It was it was a bigger treat for me. I promise you that. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Tweet at us with swipe left for Danny if you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks a lot.